This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Warden, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Well, we've got a treat for you today. There's a lot of fun interviews we get on the Beaver Tales podcast where I, Josh Warden, talk with the former players at Oregon State, learn about their life lessons since leaving Corvallis, as well as their highlight memories of playing for the Beavers. And Lyle Moyval has a lot of memories from Corvallis, some big games he was a part of in those mid-2000 years when he and Sean Canfield were kind of the two quarterbacks that went back and forth for a few years from 2007 to 2009 in some successful years for OSU. Lyle Moivau is my guest today on the podcast. He was a backup in 2007 as Sean Canfield got the starting job. Then Lyle was the starter for basically all of 2008. Then a shoulder injury kept him out the whole offseason before 2009, and he was at the start of the year still held out by that shoulder injury. He attempted one pass in the season coming in for Sean Canfield. Then shortly afterwards in a practice, hurt his foot, and was out for the year. He could not get a medical redshirt, and his career was over. Not without a lot of fun memories and, you know, an upset over USC in 2008, the 07 Civil War victory down in Eugene, games like that. But it was an abrupt end, but he stayed in the game of football ever since. He's coaching at Northern Colorado now. He just got hired. He also coached in the Alliance of American Football with Mike Riley in San Antonio, which is where he lives now. Before we get to this conversation with Oregon State quarterback Lyle Moyval, I'll mention today's charity on the Beaver Tales podcast where we give some exposure to local nonprofits doing good work around the globe, including an Oregon State connection and kingdom home. Former Oregon State baseball player Matt Boyd runs this organization with his wife Ashley. Their mission is to end child sex slavery through prevention. They have a home in Uganda impacting children at risk there. You can donate and sponsor a child and help out with the projects they've got going at kingdomhome.org. That's kingdomhome.org. It was a fun conversation I had with Lyle Moivau. We talk about the leadership style of Mike Riley, who is his head coach, his favorite games at Oregon State. I would have expected him to say the upset over USC or the Civil War win, but he doesn't go that route. He goes with a different one early on in our conversation, and I give him a name to see if he would recognize Grayson Gunheim. I didn't explain the context behind that name just to see, do you know this guy? Well, Grayson Gunheim was a defensive end for the University of Washington around the same time Lyle played, and one of the most famous plays Lyle ever had at OSU was kind of a blindside block where he absolutely demolished a much larger Grayson Gunheim on a reverse play. So he comes out and blocks Grayson in the backfield and frees up James Rogers for a, a run, knocks him on his seat. I tweeted out a video where it includes the highlight of that play and Lyle talking about it, but you'll hear part of that conversation here as well. All right, here is a quarterback for Oregon State, the native of Torrance, California, who joins the Beaver Tales podcast from San Antonio, Texas. Please welcome Lyle Moivan. One quick note before we go back to Oregon State is about life in San Antonio and briefly what you've got uh, in your future. So I came out here in San Antonio in 2018. I came out here in December to join Coach Riley on the San Antonio Commanders, which was the new developmental league for the NFL, similar to what the XFL was. You know, we were, we were kind of uh, hitting the ground running, brand new, brand new league, brand new teams, brand new logos, everything. So that was the main reason why I'm out here today but you know it was a great opportunity it was a lot of fun uh, we had a great time together and coaching with coach Riley is just another 
box for me to check off as far as things I've always wanted to accomplish as a, as a football player, but also uh, as a coach, just being able to be in the same room as the man who recruited you, the man who coached you, the man who's taught you so much in life and, and, and the game of football, uh, and then being able to sit in those meeting rooms and be able to kind of go back and forth with him in conversations about some of the ideas that he has, as well as what I have in mind. is definitely a dream come true as far as one of the um, things I've, I've always wanted to do as a, a young coach coming up the ranks and, you know, still have a long way to go, but I'm glad I was able to do that early. Him being a mentor, not just as a, as a coach and when I was a player, but now as, a, as I'm a coach, he's just, it's like opening a whole nother book of teachings that now I'm able to read through all this new stuff. Now as a coach versus being a player, I mean, he taught me so much as a player, but now that you step into the role of being on the sideline versus on the field, there's so much more to it. It's definitely not the same of everything that I did as a player. Um, not too many guys can take what they did playing the game and transitioning over to teaching the game. I can think of coaches and mentors I've had where it didn't really click with me until years later when I got to an older age where I realized, mm -hmm. oh, that's what they were going for. Oh, wow, that they spent a lot of time pouring into me or other people. So when you think about Mike Riley, and coaching mm -hmm. in your own areas and sometimes coaching with him. Have there been things where you, you've reflected and realized even more so now after your playing days, all the things that Mike Riley taught you and seen to an even greater degree, the, the priorities he had and the philosophies he had, he had that hit home even more later? Oh, absolutely. Especially because you're in there being with him pretty much all, all day in the office, being around him. You know, there's, there's a lot of because as a player, you only you spend some limited hours with your coach or with the head coach. There's only so much time in a day where you come across the head coach and you're actually involved in a, in a conversation that has to do with teaching football or learning football from him. Now being on the staff side of things, being around him pretty much all day, um, there's times where, you know, at any point in the day, he might just throw a thought out there where it's just like, you know, I've been thinking. He'll start off, you know, I've been thinking. And he'll just kind of throw out this thought like, you know, what if we did it this way versus this way? And then he'll take a sip of his coffee and, you, and, you're, and then you really, you, you think about what he just said and you just realize like, why don't we do it that way? Like, that makes <laughs> so much sense. But yeah, we've been, at the, we've been doing it this way as far as like, let's say it's a run or something as simple as footwork. You're like, why, why have we been taking these steps versus the way we've been doing it since I was playing? And now all of a sudden you just have a thought to change it. And then when he just kind of throws out this random thought over a cup of coffee in the morning, you start thinking about it and then you really start to question it. Like, that's actually a really good question. Why haven't we asked that before? But his thought is, I mean, his thoughts are just constantly, you know, going of, of how can I make things simpler but better yeah and it speaks to his leadership style it's not that he has an idea and says this is how we need to do it we are all doing this footwork thing some way and you have to mm -hmm. deal with it it's let me propose this idea and let you engage with it compartmentalize it and then you probably have a greater feeling of ownership over it because you process through it before even realizing how good of an idea it was. So it's a, a little element subtle of his leadership, but probably helpful. Oh, absolutely. And notice how I said, when we talk, he says, what do you think about? Yeah. Rather than, hey, this is how we're going to do it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And so he's a man of ridiculous wisdom. He's got so much wisdom and, and knowledge of the game, but never once does he ever think that he has all the answers. Um, and I think that's the best part about it because in this game of, of well, I mean, in, in life in general, you know, the day you stop just deciding to, to learn something new is the day you stop growing. Let's go back to some of your playing days and playing for Mike Riley and your highlights. Um, there were some classic games in the, mm -hmm. those mid-2000 years where, yeah. um, you know, Matt Moore finished his career in 06, and then you got 07, 08, 09, where you and Sean Canfield are, are slinging the ball around for Oregon State. So when you mm -hmm. are daydreaming about playing for Oregon State, what are the game or two that stick most in your memory? What are one or two games that kind of highlight the list for you? So the one game, and, and people will probably laugh, and this is the, the game that I bring up first, but the first the game that I think of is the Utah game that I got in for the first time, I believe it was in 2007. Sean and I, as a staff, Coach Riley and Coach Danny Langsdorf, who was our offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach at the time, they decided to go, you know, with our whole competition between me and Sean Canfield going on, um, which he was, a, he was a great one in, in, in itself. He was, a, he was definitely a great leader and able to do a, a really good job at the quarterback position, which is why he ended up going to the NFL. So shout out to Sean. Um, but I think with the whole competition that we had going on, it was just too close to call. So the, the staff decided to go with, we'll switch off quarterbacks every quarter during that, that Utah game. And Sean had the first quarter and he, he went in there and, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. He didn't do too well which to me, it's like both of us didn't do too well in that game just because it was our first time going. And, and, and another thing about the quarterback position is, you know, a lot of times that's why you don't see too many, you don't ever see quarterbacks switching off every quarter because you want your quarterbacks to get into a groove. You know, there's going to be times where, especially at a young age in a, in a young quarterback's career, it's going to take a lot longer for that quarterback to get comfortable as he's just starting off his first few games and so he might take a few bruises and bumps the first two quarters, but eventually he'll start to calm down and the butterflies will be out and, and all that stuff. And so when we were doing kind of the uh, alternating rotation between quarters, Sean went in there and he did what he could. And then I actually went in there the second quarter. I mean, I believe we were on our, I want to say like 20 or 30 yard line, kind of coming out, getting ready to go the distance. The first play we called was a simple pass concept it was a it was a quick concept and then it was, we were in a two by two formation and both the outside receivers had hitches and both inside tight end and the slot receiver had corner routes and the reason why we're doing this is because at that time Utah was a big cover two team and so you know we were prepared for all that stuff and so I went out there snapped the ball dropped back so I think it was Brandon Powers who was also our slot receiver running a corner and so I went to throw it to him, and the cornerback who was sitting on the hitch ended up floating back and intercepting the corner route. And so uh, I always think of that because my first collegiate pass at a Division One was an interception. And uh, the moment I'll never forget is I come off, and I just thought to myself, like, as soon as I threw it, I was like, all right, just don't let them score now. So go make the tackle. So I start chasing them down, and I think one of our receivers made the tackle. After that, I looked up at the big screen to see the kind of the, the replay. And I'm smiling because I'm thinking in my head, like, wow, 
first division one, like everybody's chanting for you. Everybody's, you know, kind of rooting for you as you're taking the field, cheering this and that. And you throw an interception. <laughs> so I just, I couldn't help but laugh just because I was like, that is so bad of you. What the heck, dude? And so as I'm thinking these thoughts and laughing, I look at the big screen and look at the instant replay and my face is on there smiling. And everybody sees like the quarterback who just threw a pick is laughing in his helmet. And uh, I think of that just because I've always treated serious situations that way. No matter what the outcome has been, it's just, you just got to enjoy the game of football no matter what, because to me, the guys that take it too serious and, and I won't say all, uh, but a lot of times if, if you take things way too serious in the game of football, um, it doesn't do any good for you as far as helping you out. Now, it can be motivating, but a lot more times than not, it'll be very bad for you just mentally, physically. It won't help you in any ways. And so one thing that I've always thought to myself is that no matter what happens in this game of football, I'm just glad that I'm, I'm at work at Oregon State. I have a full scholarship. My family's able to come and watch me in Reeser Stadium, but also my family who couldn't travel was able to watch on TV. And so all these things that involve my family and what I'm able to do to represent my family has, has always been something that I've been proud of, but then also puts a smile on my face because I know a lot of the sacrifices that were made along the way for me to get to this position are because of the people that are sitting at home watching me on TV. And so for them to see me on TV and put a smile on their face, that makes me happy no matter what happens. Because I could tell you right now, my grandfather's probably sitting in his chair laughing too because of the fact that his grandson just threw his, his first pass attempt and it was an interception. So that's one of the games that, sorry, I kind of went long on that one, but. That's okay, that's okay. That's one but, of the memories that I don't think too many people think of or probably no. don't think of. I mean, I was expecting you to say 2008 USC and you upset, you know, one of the best mm -hmm. teams in the country or 2007 Civil War and you beat the Ducks in Eugene or one of those games, and yet it's, it's an interception in a Utah game, which is perfect because my lasting memory of you, a couple of them, would be, let's take the first pass in the 07 Civil War. You rifle a pass to the right hash mark, and Anthony Wheat Brown nabs it, and the TV cameras pan to you, and you've just got the biggest grin on your yeah. face. You're playing in the Civil War, and you're just smiling, moving the ball down the field, the 2008 USC game, and I imagine in you smiling as you – throw a pass in the corner and James Rogers catches it or even an interception in your first career pass yeah. but what's the one constant in all of those is that you're grinning ear to ear whether you're throwing interceptions or upsetting the best team in the nation yeah exactly and, and I think uh, I always think back to that first pass that first play of my career because I told myself from that point on and, I, and even before that I promised to myself that I would never let my family see me sat on on national television just because I didn't make it this far for them to be sad and for them to see me sad. And so I always told myself, like, you know, whatever happens, good, bad, or ugly, just be be happy, be thankful, and, and, and go on to the next play. You brought up Sean Canfield and gave him a shout-out. And your career with him is one of the most interesting because you almost never see a quarterback battle where – neither guy wins the job outright for the rest of their career that goes well. Mm -hmm. And 
to be fair, that first game did not start out well. Sean Canfield did not play great. You had the interception. So maybe that game in and of itself was not a great story. But over the course of your career, where you essentially both alternated for kind of three seasons, I mean, 07 was more Sean, 08 was more you, 09 was back to Sean again. So you, you alternate a whole lot. And at least for me, I think the quarterback play at Oregon State over that span, whether it's you or Sean, was pretty it was very respectable and very yeah. successful even yeah. though it was not one consistent quarterback so when you think back to that era of three years of Lyle slash Sean slash Lyle slash Sean first of all how many times did you switch back and forth where right. one was the starter and then the other and how would you characterize those years of a, a three-year long quarterback battle that actually had pretty positive results I think that first year was really the time where I always think of it as uh it's interesting you say the three years because you're right. It, over over a three year span, we did switch back and forth. But the way I always think of it is is really that 2007 season. I could feel the tension when I came in. There's always going to be tension when you're the new guy coming in and you're at the same class level as other athletes in your room that are competing for the same spot, and only one of you guys can take the field on Saturdays. And so no matter where you go. That's just the competitiveness of the sport itself. And to me, that's a good thing. You know, tension is, is definitely a good thing because uh, iron sharpens iron. Like my mom always says, iron sharpens iron. And so you're either going to gonna push yourself to compete with that other person or you're going to back down. And, and I don't think any of us were there to back down at that point. So I think 2007, it was definitely a competition between us two. But then I always think of 2008 and 2009 really being – both of us one in the same at that point, because I think we went through a learning. We kind of understood each other after 2007 going into the off season, uh, really getting time to be able to spend together and work out together and just get close with each other. I think the relationships and the, and the, the teammates that kind of go negatively with that whole quarterback competition are the ones that don't really get a chance to understand each other because I always thought that two is better than one. And if you can get two guys that are consistently pushing each other every single day, but working towards the same goal, which is to win, just going after it every single practice, then no matter what the coaches decide to do with, you know, they can close their eyes and, and, and just tell us, keep switching spots back and forth and say, stop. And whoever I'm pointing at, that's who's getting in the game. But if both guys are on the same, same track as far as the focus and, and what we really want to get done, which is win, and we're going to compete against each other and we don't care about the outcome of who's going in, just know that whoever you pick, it's going to be the same results. We're going to go out there and we're going to give our team the best chance to win. And I think if you can get two quarterbacks on that type of level, then you're in, you're in a good position. But I've, I've always thought of it as rather than being a 2007 was this, 2008 was this guy, 2009 was this guy, I think of 2007 as being the competition year and 2008 and 2009 was really both of us uh, kind of being together and, and working towards the same goal. Because I don't think it's fair to say that one guy got it and the other guy did it because we were one of us was injured at that time, which is why we kind of ended up falling off and, and the other person stepped up. So in 2008, Sean was down uh, due to his shoulder injury. And then in 2009, um, I was out because of my foot injury. But at the same time, we were still there to support each other and help each other out as much as possible. So I always think of it as a two-headed monster in, in 2008 and 2009, which is why we were so successful kind of as a position group, just because we were constantly pushing each other and supporting each other, but understanding that the focus point is still the same. We both want to win and we want to be our best on Saturday, 
that way we're giving everything we have from a quarterback in position to our teammates. How close of friends were you with Sean Canfield at that point? If you ever lived together, hung out off the field, and to this day, do you still keep in touch? I will say 2007, it was uh, – I've always uh, – coming in from the junior college level, I knew I'd be the new kid on the block coming in, which I was fine with. Just, you know, my personality, I don't really come in and ring the alarm, let them know new kids in town, new sheriffs in town, all that stuff. Like, I, that's not me. That's not my personality. I'm more the type that comes in get to feel for what I'm getting into, kind of get an idea of who the guys are, um, make connections, you know, try to make connections as soon as possible, especially within my position room with Matt, with Sean, with Gundy, Ryan Gunderson, because really it's me coming into their room. They've been here. They put the work in at this level. So there's no reason why I shouldn't come in and surrender to them and being able to just teach me, like help me out. You know, it's, I'm here to learn from you guys. You guys have been here. You know, I'm looking up to you guys as mentors at this point. And so 2007, I'd say our relationship was in the works at that point of feeling each other out. And, and then I think when things really clicked was when he went down with a shoulder injury against USC at the end of the 2007 year. Um, and I stepped in and I also understood what an injury could do to a person during a time like this, when you're competing your butt off, you know, you just got named the starter. There's a lot of things going for you in high school and this platform. And, you know, you've been doing things so well and working so hard and you finally got the starting position for all of it to just drop off because of an injury. It sucks, you know, and, and I'd never been through it before, but I understood the pain that he was going through mentally. And so I think after that season, I wanted to let him know. And I think it was during the, towards the end of that season, when we were kind of having our quarterback meetings and stuff like that. I could tell Sean was a little bit down because he'd come in, he'd kind of be walking around and have the hoodie on with the sling and, and all that stuff and not really socializing a whole lot with being his normal self. So I just kind of took him aside and let him know like, hey man, I don't want you to think that this is all about the who's going to start and this and that. And I just want whoever's on the field to just go out there and win. I don't care if it's you. I don't care if it's me. Just know that whoever's out there, you've got to help our team win as much as you can. And that's the reason why you're out there. And so I don't want you to think that, you know, just because I'm, I'm the starter now because you're injured that you won't have a chance to be able to come back and get it. Like you got to come back and work and be able to be better than what, what I am out on the field so that you become the best thing out there for the team and you give the chance, the best opportunity to be able to win games. And that's just how it goes. At the end of the day, I just want to win. I don't care about this competition. The competition is going to happen. You know, that's, that's why we're here. We're here to compete. But just know whoever gets named the starter, you have to go out there and do the best you can to put our offense in the best opportunity to win games. And so once we started having those conversations, like those real deal conversations of breaking it down, like all this you, me stuff doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's not it's not you versus me on the scoreboard. It's us versus them on the scoreboard. So once we got that kind of whole mentality going in the right, in the same direction with both of us on board, man, like I said, it was a two headed monster in our relationship from, from the off season of 07 on into, into 08, into 09 and never skipped a beat. Whenever I was down, whenever he was down, the other person was right there to just be able to support him and help out however we could. And, you know, we definitely started, we hung out a lot, actually, uh, from that point on. Um, never roomed together. He was he was rooming with Shane, but I was always, 
you know, it was one of those things where we were always hanging out together, uh, kind of in the off time and, and throwing together and, you know, being able to do all the extra work off the field with each other. And so our relationship definitely got a lot closer after that 07 season, just because I was like, man, why be average when we can push each other and have the same goal? And we could put our team at the top of this conference if we both just put our focus in the same direction. So you get to 09, which was both of your senior years, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. And you only attempted one pass that season. You had the foot yeah. injury and it was a weird year. Take me to your memories of the difficulty of that season of not being able to play and how you handled that mentally. Were you able to keep that classic Lyle Moivau smile on your face when you you know, you threw the interception in Utah? Was this harder than that? And, and did you ever think about medically redshirting that process? Also, all those things that work. So how, how did you handle that mentally in 09? It was definitely um, a shocker at that point, just because I'd just gotten cleared from my shoulder injury, which felt like it took forever, uh, which it did. And then finally you get cleared. It's funny because I talk about Sean's whole situation of working your way up to this point and, and winning a competition and then being named the starter. And then you go in there and you get injured. Well, look what happens a year later. I go in there, I win the starting spot. And then all these things start to kind of happen for me. And then I get injured. It was the same situation where just the other person was in it. But this one was even harder with the foot injury my senior year just because I'd gone through that whole shoulder situation, felt good about it, you know, missed spring ball, got ready through the summer and got ready for camp. And then even then wasn't cleared for a few games. And then finally that Arizona game when I took that one that one attempt with Sean having a bloody nose and having to come out. Uh, after that game, we were getting ready for USC and – and the foot injury hit me, and uh, that was hard. That was definitely the hardest part of, of uh, my career was facing that second injury um, that would put me out for the season. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the relationship that Sean and I built um, because I don't think – you know, if, without having someone there to support you again, you know, not just during the shoulder surgery, but but having to be there, you know, again during this foot injury. I mean, that's why I give so much credit to him just because he's he changed his attitude. He, he, he kind of, you know, became a man early on in his career. And then from that point on, it was like I was his brother. You know, we treated each other like brothers from that point on. And and then for an injury to happen to me twice, it was it was rough, man. It, the first time was hard, but the second time was uh, definitely rough to handle. And I was definitely going through some some hard times of of uh, you know that I that I kept away from the locker room. I never brought it around the locker room or any stuff like that. I never wanted to see my teammates, you know, see see me down or, or anything. That's just the way I am. Like you know, like I said with my family, I never wanted to see. Never wanted them to see me with a sad face on or crying or whatever. I and mean, I felt the same way about my teammates just because I always felt that my problems were not their problems and never should be part of their daily schedule that they got going because obviously our goal still remains the same of winning games and doing all that stuff. So I didn't want to hinder any of that by bringing my emotions into it or around it. But it was definitely hard at that time. It was, it was helpful because I lived with uh, one of our tight ends, Joe Hallahooney at the time. You know, unfortunately, Joe got to see the worst part of it just because I'd come home, man. It was rough not being able to kind of uh, leave the house. And during that time of recovery, early time of recovery after the surgery on my foot. But it, it, 
I'm just thankful for for the good teammates that we had, man. And to me, that's that's credit to our coaches. Really, they're the ones that that go out and recruit these type of men. I'll say rather than athletes, because you know it's it's to be a football player is one thing, but to have young men in there that respect each other, you know, that understand um, the goals in mind athletically, but also the standards that are on that are on the program as young men who represent the football team, you know, those, those, those go all into recruiting and, and things like that. And coach Riley, he always preached, you know, we're going to surround you with good people. When, when you go on your recruiting visit, I went, when I went on mine, that's what he told me, you know, I'm going to do my best to, re- to surround you with good people that will develop you into a good man. And that definitely felt that way when you go through those times, those hard times as a player, because you're, you're really leaning on teammates to be there for you. And so, yeah, that was that was definitely hard, but we did go through the process of trying to get a medical red shirt. Unfortunately, it didn't go through. I wish it had. If it did, man, it would have been bad bad news bears for the Pac-10. But <laughs> um, it didn't it didn't go through, and so that was that was hard to swallow. Just because you know we felt like we had a pretty good case having the shoulder injury and then having the foot injury the following season, but unfortunately you know, the NCAA didn't feel the same way. It is what it is. I've learned so much even through the times of playing, uh, even, the, even the times that I spent being on the sideline on crutches or on an e-cart. There's so many memorable moments that I take from those days back at LSU that are really teaching moments for myself, as well as lessons that I can teach unto, to other young men, which is uh, what I'm doing now. And so uh, they'll always be with me forever. That's crazy. I mean, only one pass attempted, and yet that costs a whole year of eligibility. But that's the way it goes, and and you've learned to to handle it. Um, I got one or two more questions, and we'll get to uh, your life after football. And I'm going to say a name of a person, first and last name, and I'll let you explain if you remember who this is, and if so, where you know them from. So I'll just say the name, see if you recognize it. Here's the name. Grayson Gunheim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I remember that guy. I don't know. I, he hit me so hard. I don't remember. He hit you so hard. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> that hit was so hard that it felt like he hit me. That's that's really. Yeah, he was a big guy, man. He was a big dude. But yeah, I definitely remember Grayson, and uh, I'm sure he probably remembers me too. So we haven't talked much lately, but. I'd, I'd love to talk to him, catch up, see how he's doing. And Did you ever talk after that Washington game? I talked right after the play, actually. Really? As you're before the huddle for the next play? Yeah. Did he initiate that, or what did you have to say? Oh, he for? definitely initiated that. He came up to me. He's like, said some words I probably can't say on here, but pretty much to kind of abbreviate what he talked about. He just asked me, what, what did I do that for? And I just told him, hey, man, just doing my job. I'll never forget the the moment before hitting him. I was like, where do I want to try and hit this guy? Because I was like, if I hit him in his chest, it might just be stalemate. If if I clip him at his knees, it might be a penalty. At that time, we didn't have the helmet-to-helmet rule. I was like, well, what better way to leave my stamp on this defensive end than to hit him straight in his neck? And so I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to bring back the old defensive end days and just go, I'm going to put my shoulder into his chest and, and hope that my big head connects with his head. And sure enough, man, it, I just blindsided him. It was all bad for him because he opened up his whole 
front half was exposed and he had no idea what was coming. Oh boy, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> I kind of blacked out. I blacked out oh, for like two seconds, but I didn't fall down. So nobody knew that I blacked out. No, and you were pounding your chest, looking up the sideline and everybody's going crazy for the base. I was really pounding my chest, trying to get my vision back. Like, oh, come on, man. No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was, uh, yeah, that felt so good. It even feels good now talking about it and kind of putting myself in the moment. Because I've done that before in high school one time. Um, and that feeling of just being able to take someone's soul that's been killing you all game. Like, they just get free hits at you. Smack, smack. They'll take a penalty. I'm going to hit them late. Smack. You know, it's like, come on, man. This physically hurts, ref. Like, <laughs> how many times are you going to be okay with just letting them hit me late? And so finally, man, I just was able to dig right into him and get him back. In my opinion, that's the greatest five-yard gain in Oregon State history. That's, oh, that's number one. <laughs> I tell James every day, I, every time I see him, I'm like, man, five yards? That's all you got was five <laughs> yards? Uh, as far as what you've done after Oregon State, it's been about a decade because 09 was your senior year. So, you know, that was the fall of 09 into the spring of, of 2010. Since then, you've – um, you're now hired as the running backs coach at University of Northern Colorado, reuniting with Dave Baldwin, who was the offensive coordinator previously at Oregon State. You coached OSU for a few years at the end of the Mike Riley era, left in 2017. You were at Lewis and Clark coaching the quarterbacks. Then yep. you joined Mike Riley in San Antonio with the Alliance of American Football. So you've had a few different stops and coaching gigs, sometimes coaching quarterbacks and sometimes coaching running backs. But as far as the different opportunities you've had in coaching, uh, what sort of things have you learned as, as a person, as a coach, and the highlights you've had of a whole nother decade of football, albeit not as a player, but now as a coach? What has life been like the last 10 years? I mean, shoot, playing the game of football and coaching the game of football, it's like two different books. But coaching the game of football at each position is like different chapters within that coaching book. And those chapters are, I mean, they're huge. So there's just so much more that I have yet to tap into as a coach. And really, I'm just kind of making my way around the offense right now. You know, obviously playing quarterback and coaching quarterbacks, I knew a lot about that position. So one of the things that I've always wanted to do is kind of venture out into other positions on the offensive side of the ball just to have a better idea of how everything works together. And so that's kind of where I see myself right now is just I've made my way to chapter two, which is running backs. I don't even think I've hit halfway through the chapter yet as far as learning anything about it, uh, just because I'm still brand new into it. I'm probably still in the introduction phase of it. But it's, it's definitely something that I love about this coaching career is because you start to learn the whys of each position. Like, why do you do it this way with his footwork? And why do you look for this type of body in this position? Or why is this scheme? Or, you know, why do they do it this way at Oregon and this way at Washington State? But yet they're still kind of similar in their own way. And what are the differences within? So there's just so much to learn from a football aspect of it, of learning the game of football. I think that's the next goal in mind down the road, obviously. Uh, once I hit every chapter in the book of position, offensive positions, I, I think uh, the great ones are able to kind of – it's always funny to me to be able to see, you know, one coach is on Twitter. He's announced as the offensive line coach. Then the next year he's like, 
that same coach on that same staff has been announced as the defensive backs coach. It's like, what? Like, you just <laughs> went from the total opposites of down in the trenches to out in the back end now. But I think that's definitely a goal of mine is just to get to that point where I'm able to transition kind of wherever they need me within the offense as a coach. Yeah, that was surprising. You know, Lyle Moiva, running backs coach. All right. I mean, if you're a quarterback, you got to know what the running backs do, at least to a certain degree. And, and you're still learning that. So that yeah. makes sense. As far as off the field stuff, non-football, I mean, you've, you've had 10 years since Oregon State. You've gotten married. So not all of your time mm-hmm. has been spent playing and coaching football. So in the last 10 years, in terms of your character development and the things that you found more valuable as you've grown older, uh, what sort of advice might you give yourself to your 18-year-old version of Lyle Moivau and the things that you've since realized are valuable in life um, that you know, maybe you know, 10, 15 years ago you didn't value as much? But what have you learned ever since in life since Oregon State? You know, I think one thing that I've definitely learned from this profession especially is the importance of networking and not just networking within your profession, but just networking in general, just being able to practice those skills of communicating with someone, being able to, you know, get to know that person, but then also being able to just follow up with that connection and communication and and keeping that relationship fresh throughout the years. I think a lot of times we tend to move on from different phases in our lives growing up, going from elementary to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to you know, college. And a lot of those close friendships at that time, you consider certain people to be your best friends. But then when you get to high school, are those middle school best friends still your best friends? And a lot of times it doesn't just because, you know, it's not that case because they, you know, you move to different locations, their families make moves and this and that. But I think the communication part of still staying, you know, in contact with those those friends and those connections is still important. And I think that that whole skill of being able to do that is important, too. And it does you a lot better. It's good for you if you could develop those skills throughout life just because you're going to use them in your profession, but then also just out in real life, you know, with your friends and family as well. And I think, uh, you know, the more you can communicate and, and follow up with those relationships, Uh, the better off you'll be network-wise in your profession. But then also, you'll just have so many people that love you and know you and always support you. And you'll know everything about them, too. And so you're just always in kind of contact with those people that you love and and work with. And I've come across a few coaches that are like that, one of them being, uh, and I don't know if you know this name or or remember the name, but he was at Oregon State as a receivers coach. His name is Brent Brennan. Oh, yeah. Now the San Jose State coach. He was the yes. first, first coach I ever interviewed when I started covering Oregon State was Brent Brennan. If, if you go anywhere with Brent Brennan, anywhere in this country, I guarantee you'll run into someone that knows who he is and has talked to this guy for the last 20 years. And that is, to me, awesome. You know, that's great that he has that type of skill where he can – he's so good with just networking one – but then creating those bonds, creating those friendships, but then keeping those bonds and keeping those friendships over the years is what's more impressive to me. I know you're speaking the truth because I was taking a road trip through California a few months ago or late last year, and I stopped. It was in San Jose, and who's the first person I see is Brent Renan. <laughs> I was like, yeah. there, of course. well, like you said, everyone, there's some connection, seven yeah. shades of Brent Renan, I guess. Yeah, and he's, he's awesome too, and he'll – 
you know, if, let's say you drove into the gas station and you saw him and he saw you and you said, hey, what's up, coach? And he's like, hey, how's everything going? Da, 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 da. And then someone else drove in that you didn't know, but he knew. I guarantee he would connect both of you, and now all three of you know each other. Yep. And that is is amazing. That's awesome to me that he has that type of skill to be able to connect with people on, on different levels. Let's finish with a memory from that 2007 Civil War where it finished off in double overtime. You were the quarterback in the second OT. There was only one play on offense because from the 25-yard line, you handed it off to James Rogers. And on the first play of the drive, he went around the end on the fly sweep and got all the way to the end zone. And after a defensive stop and fourth down, you won in Autzen Stadium for the first time since the 90s. What's your recollection of that play, your final Civil War play in 2007 as you got out of there with the win? My cousin played middle linebacker for the Oregon Ducks. His name was A.J. Tuitele. He was actually in the middle of the defense during that play. So I was under center. Just before I was going to send James in motion, I looked at my cousin, and he was literally standing four yards from me. And we're right around like the same height just because I'm squatting down and he's in his linebacker position and whatnot. And so we're looking at each other through the visors that we have on our helmets. And as soon as I was getting ready to turn to James, I winked at my cousin and then I sent James in motion and I snapped the ball, handed it off and he scored. And I always think that's funny because when I winked at him, he was kind of like, oh man, something's going to happen right here. And sure enough, we scored. And I was like, Game over. <laughs> wow, uh, that's that's uh, that's a good story to bring up at family reunions. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he he'll never forget it. He doesn't he doesn't let me forget it either. Every time he sees me, he's like, I still remember when you winked at me. I knew something was up, and he and he, and he tries to say like, Yeah, I, I knew it was gonna be the fly sleep. I was like, No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You had no idea. Last question I'll ask you is more of a fun, not that important question, but I, I was watching back the 07 Civil War and the, the ESPN broadcast, and it was so funny to me. Maybe it was because it was your first year playing at Oregon State, but they could not get your last name right. Yeah. They would say Moveo, I heard Malvo, I heard yeah. Movao, and Moyao. They, didn't, they left out the V <laughs> in one of them. <laughs> What's the worst you ever got? Or did you care at all? No, I mean, everything that happened on uh, the national stage, no matter if it was wrong, if it was right, if it was just awful as far as announcing any of that stuff I was just thankful to be in that opportunity be in that stage you know to have guys cracking up at each other on how wrong they are with pronouncing my name you know I'm looking at it like dude my family's probably cracking up over this conversation and I know my dad's probably yelling at the tv like it's more Val, it's more Val, it's not that hard you know but just just having that conversation being around my family name for my name to be the topic of it I can't do anything but just laugh at it. I come across so many butchered last names of how to say mine that, you know, you can't do anything but just laugh at this point, so. I've always said Moy Val, but you say, mm -hmm. is it technically Moy Val? Because there's a subtle difference there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually the, the, the like you said it the second time, it's Moy Val. Okay, yeah. even I'm getting it wrong because I said Moy Val, which is still close, but technically even yeah. I... I yeah. can't look be condescending towards anyone else. Well, the good thing is that you got you're pronouncing the M O E as M O Y, right? You know, and and the V O A or V A O is like V O W, and so right. that's that's a good part. You know, obviously what goes into how you're saying it and this. Uh, I mean, 
As long as you're saying Moival, I'm happy with it. <laughs> okay. I got Not you. Mo, Movad and Moveo. And, <laughs> oh, God. But if you say those two, then I'm used to them. For sure. Lyle, thanks so much for talking. It's awesome to catch up and talk about the Civil War and fun games and Mike Riley and what you're doing now. Uh, it's so fun to, to hear your, your memories of that and, and talk about smiling through the interceptions and the touchdowns and the Civil War yeah. victories. So it's awesome to hear that. Best of luck with you and Greeley, Colorado, and everything that's to come for you. So thanks for talking with me. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Well, Lyle Moival was one of the people I was most looking forward to interviewing when starting this podcast. One of the guys that just seems like a classic quintessential beaver, a guy who loves Mike Riley, who wanted to work with him for years afterwards, an essential part of some really big beaver wins, including that Civil War. We actually talked for about 30 more minutes in this conversation that I am not including in this podcast. We talked for a long time afterwards. And I trimmed it down to the podcast you're hearing, not because it wasn't good. In fact, I'll use it, but for a future project where I'm producing a documentary on that 2007 season. And in particular, that Civil War closing out the regular season 13 years ago. So I asked him a lot of questions about that game and his memories of highlights and the celebration and all that. That one memory of his cousin, AJ Tuitele, is certainly one of the best. And I wanted to keep that in this podcast but uh, keep your eyes open a few months from now as I work on a couple documentaries on the 2018 Beaver Baseball National Championship team and a few others as well. But Lyle Moivau was so fun to talk to. Honestly, the main thing I took away, I don't know about you, was his ability to smile not just through the highlights, but the interception. If he could laugh after his first ever throw was picked off, his first collegiate you know, Division One throw at Oregon State intercepted, and he's smiling after that and saying, you know what, I'm still a college football player. Like I have a lot to be grateful for. That goes a long way. It's easy to smile after the USC and Oregon victories, but it really shows he's got something more to him, some more substantive happiness and joy if he can smile even then. So I respect that about Lyle Moivau, and I appreciate him coming on the podcast. Let me know what you think of this one. Hit me up on Twitter at Bright Ties, the word bright, the word ties. And let me know future guests you'd like to have. Text a friend. Tell them about all the cool guests that we get on this show and talk with them about their memories of Oregon State. Until next time on future episodes of the Beaver Tales podcast, good night and go Beavs.